This is our third study, looking at what it means to be a friend of God. And I want us to pick up where we left off last time, still with Moses as God's friend, and looking at the Lord's providence towards us. And I want to start there today because God's amazing providence is actually a fundamental expression of his love towards us. The trouble is, as I said last time, we've diminished the word providence by concentrating on the, the, the providing something aspect of it. Now, whilst the word certainly includes that, we need to be clear that the basic meaning of the word providence is seeing ahead. And this means that the essential signification of providence in scripture is the foreseeing of a need coupled with the supply of what is needed often in advance of it becoming necessary. Revelation chapter 13 and and, and verse 8 speaks of Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That is God's providence. Before man had even been created, before man had ever yet sinned and fallen, the Lord foresaw our need of salvation and provided for it ahead of the day when it became necessary. Our salvation has never, ever been God's plan B. He has always loved us so much that he was determined that we would be saved, even before we existed. That's God's providence, and it's, it's actually the measure of his care for us. Now, last time we saw how part of God's father heart towards Moses was his providences that anticipated Moses' needs. What we didn't stop to do fully was to consider that wonderful foretaste of God's providence that is built into the very story of Moses right from his birth. The Lord's hand was upon him in protecting him from the threat of infanticide by his birth into a family that refused to bow to Pharaoh's decree. The Lord then reinforced that by providing the particular princess who found Moses in the bulrushes. I wonder if you've you've ever thought about her. You know, she must have been a, a rather special person. She was Pharaoh's daughter, and the all-powerful Pharaoh had said, All of these Hebrew boys must be killed. So official palace policy, her father's official policy, was genocide. Yet when she found this Hebrew boy child, she said, I'll have him for my own son. Clearly she was a tender-hearted woman, moved by pity for the helpless. And the only reason I mention this is that as you trace the story of Moses in the book of Exodus, it's significant how stunningly Moses grew up in the image of his adoptive mother. For he too was a man moved by the helpless. When in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11, 
He went out from the palace amongst his own people, the Hebrews. It was to see their burdens. And he intervened in an attempt to do something about it. And then later in in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 17, when he was in exile now, there was an incident by a well at Midian. And instead of standing back from a fight that wasn't his, he stood up for a group of helpless girls. He grew up to be like the mother that God had provided for him. Now we have the advantage of hindsight and we can see just how marvelous God's providence really is. But at the time, nobody could see it. We see it because we look back through time to the story. But you see, God is always like that, seeing the need before it arises and providing for its solution, often ahead of time. As we saw last time, even Moses' name is a sign of God's providence. Pharaoh's daughter called him Moshe, which sounds similar to the Hebrew for draw out, saying it was because she drew him out of the water. But actually, see, the Lord was looking further ahead than that. For here was the baby, here was the man that God was going to use to draw out his people from slavery. Now, despite Moses enjoying the Lord's fatherly care and indeed himself being the Lord's special providence for the people of God, he was every bit as fallible as you and I. He had feet of clay and he was utterly capable of failure on a colossal scale. He grew up in Pharaoh's palace with his adoptive mother and inevitably learned the ways of the world. Thus, having grown up knowing the ways of the powerful, he opted in Exodus chapter 2 and verses 11 through 15 to use godless power to help his people. And in doing so, he totally blew it by murdering an Egyptian who was cruelly treating a Hebrew. And of course, word got out that he'd done this. Moses blew it, basically, as any one of us does. When we attempt to do God's work in our own way, with our own wisdom, in our own strength. But actually, let me say this, if it was down to us and we wanted to free a million people from Egypt, wouldn't we, these days, start with airstrikes before sending in the tanks and the heavy artillery to be followed by the cavalry? But the Lord has his own ways of doing things. And when the time was right, the Lord sent in an old guy with a stick and a stutter. And you know, that is such a timely reminder to us all not to try to dictate how we believe the Lord should work and to be so focused on our preferred approach that we end up frustrating the Lord's own plans. 
having pastored the pastors in several congregations over the years, I've actually seen this sadly lead to a number of disastrous ministry failures. I remember once being in a prayer meeting in one of those congregations when a visitor with strong prophetic gifts shared a word that they, the congregation, to be honest, we, if I'm being honest, as a congregation, we were like so many ants busily trying to dig a hole in the sand and just tiring ourselves out in the process. And he continued that the Lord was right next to us on the sand waiting for him to be invited, waiting for us to invite him to excavate that hole using his JCB. And that, I have to say, is one of the most creative descriptions I've ever heard of the Holy Spirit. Well, Moses experienced just such a disastrous ministry failure by trying to help his people in his own way, with neither God's edict to do it, nor the Lord's assistance in the attempt. And it was thus that Moses was obliged to flee to Midian and spend half a lifetime tending sheep. He, once a prince of Egypt. But please note, this was not a punishment. God was not castigating him for blowing it. Rather, this was to allow Moses to thoroughly unlearn how to be a mighty man who relied on his own strength and power and abilities. And time for him to carefully learn not to trust in himself, but to trust in God. And it was only after all of those years of preparation had begun to teach him true humility that God finally called his man and sent him back to Egypt, as we saw last time. Now, I confess that all of that so far is really just by way of introduction, setting the stage for what I want us to consider together now. Because when we get to Exodus chapter 5, we'll actually see God's ways with his failures, And isn't that in itself a wonderful thing to be able to say? That God actually has a way with failures? Well, the Bible is consistent about this. The Lord most certainly does have a way with his servants who fail. And it's the way of restoration. A way of restoration that's always appropriate to the failure. On a previous occasion together, we saw this in the life of Elijah. But probably all of the Bible's examples, the best of them, would be Jonah. Today, we'll see it in the life of Moses. But just before we move on, let me say something that I I know I've said many times before. Maybe here, I can't honestly remember. But... It's such an important truth for us to get hold of. Simply this, that Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1 is one of the most encouraging verses in the whole of the Bible. 
the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Despite his high-handed disobedience, despite his out-and-out rebellion, despite his frank opposition to the purposes of God, the Lord came a second time to this wayward prophet who on his Mediterranean cruise with destination Spain was intercepted by a huge storm, rescued by a big fish and was safely returned to base. Even to such a failure as Jonah, the word of the Lord came a second time recommissioning him and sending him back out on service. You see, our God is the God of the second chance and the third and the fourth and the umpteenth. His gospel is a gospel of inexhaustible and outrageous grace towards sinners. Praise be his name. But come back to Moses with me. Again, we saw last time how the Lord had called him to be the deliverer of his people, the Hebrews, out of the hand of Pharaoh, out of their slavery. We saw how the Lord prepared him and met him with real answers at his every point of need. And now Moses is in Egypt and he's about to set out on the work to which the Lord has called him and for which the Lord has meticulously instructed him and equipped him. Moses, of course, initially met with great success in Egypt. And his people, the Hebrews, welcomed him with open arms. Having heard all that the Lord had said to him and seen the miraculous signs that he'd been given by God to perform, they were encouraged that the Lord hadn't forgotten the covenant, even if they had. And then the people worshipped God together. So after such an exciting beginning, being carried along on the flood tide of enthusiasm, which engendered that, 5-1. After all of that, those things that we've just described, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. Now, I really find myself wondering whether there is significance in the fact that Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh without any divine prompting. I think there might be. Because, you see, at every previous stage of the journey, Moses had been prompted by God. Back in the land of Midian, God didn't allow him to leave there without going to him and saying, now, Moses, now is your time to go. And he didn't allow him to pack his bag in Midian without coming to him and saying, Moses, have you packed the rod of God? But now they're in the land of Egypt. And on the first flush of enthusiasm, they're off into the presence of Pharaoh. Maybe Moses should have waited for God. Certainly that's what I surmise from God's word at this point. It seems to me that their the newly found self-confidence and sense of occasion thrust them into action without 
any specific prompting from the Lord. You can't be sure. But be that as it may, when Moses actually got into the presence of Pharaoh, at that juncture, without any shadow of a doubt, he totally lost the plot. Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Moses and Aaron boldly strut into, into Pharaoh's throne room and they, they, they tell him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. But the Lord God of Israel had not told Moses to do it like that at all. He had told Moses clearly what to do and what to say. It's a pity that at this stage Moses didn't remember all that he'd said when he was complaining to the Lord about being sent on something that he was not capable of doing, that he was a man of hesitant speech. If he'd done that, he might have sought his word from God again. The Lord had told him what to say. And this is what God said, Exodus chapter 3, verse 18. Say to Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now we pray you, let us go on a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. A request couched in the name of God that Pharaoh would have understood, the God of the Hebrews. Because there's an important little detail to notice here. If you go all the way through these chapters in Exodus, you'll see that Pharaoh himself always refers to Israel as the Hebrews. He never ever refers to them as Israel. So not only had the Lord clearly told Moses how to express this request in understandable terms, He'd also instructed him to make a fairly modest request that they be allowed a brief festival of worship before their God. Now, this was, of course, only ever intended to be the first round of talks, the establishing of a bargaining position. But what God had commanded was a diplomatic, unprovocative, moderate, tactful entrance into the mighty Pharaoh's presence. But Moses came in, marching along, flying a flag, thus says the Lord God of Israel, you let my people go. And now as a slave leader, you don't talk to the most powerful man on the planet like that. And especially you don't talk to him like that when God has told you to say something else. So the whole thing collapsed. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I certainly won't let Israel go. Why should the divine so he was thought. Pharaoh, listen to the God of a slave people. 
So not only does Moses signally to fail to make any ground in his negotiations, he actually also ends up by losing the ground he'd made with his own people. Exodus chapter 5, verses 15 to 18. Pharaoh's reaction was to make the Hebrews' plight much harder still. Higher production quotas with less raw materials. And so the Hebrew foreman went and asked Pharaoh why they were being treated so harshly. And they were told it was a punishment for their laziness in asking to go off into the wilderness. And so it is that in Exodus chapter 5 and verse 20, the foreman of the people of Israel met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came from the presence of Pharaoh. And I don't know about you, but I can imagine poor old Moses and Aaron standing outside the palace, biting their nails, just wondering what on earth was going on inside. And when the foreman spoke to them, it was hardly a word of encouragement. The Lord look on you and judge. Because you've made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And you've put a sword in their hands to kill us. The people that God had sent Moses to rescue did not want to know Moses now. And it was all his own silly fault. God had told him what to do, what to say, how to do it, and he hadn't listened. Despite the years of unlearning the ways of the world and of learning the ways of God, Moses still fouled up spectacularly. Just before we move on, let me say that I found that enormously encouraging. Not that poor old Moses had landed himself in such a mess, but precisely because even Moses, this man who the scriptures tell us was the friend of God, this man who was so clearly God's provision for his people, this man who'd spent so many years learning to be a man of God, even he could make such a mess of things. And that makes me realize there's hope for me. Understandably, Moses despaired. And it's all too clear why. But I want us to see what Moses did with his despair. Exodus chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Then Moses turned to the Lord. That's what to do with despair. That's what to do with depression. Moses took it to the Lord. He turned again to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you've not delivered your people at all. Moses returned to the God he despaired of. But at least 
he returned to God. And what did God do in reply, in response to Moses' despair? It's so marvelously emphatic. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Now, and that's a note of time. It's not always a note of time in the Bible when we find that word now, but it is here. Now, at this precise moment, right now, when Moses had come to the end of himself, when Moses had got over himself and threw himself on God, then the Lord told Moses, now you will see what I'll do to Pharaoh when he feels the force of my strong hand, he'll let the people go. In fact, he'll force them to leave his land. And how did God deal with this failure, with this, this Moses who'd so signally failed in the Lord's service? This man who'd gone on God's business and who'd made such an utter hash of it all, How did Moses deal how did God deal with Moses? Well, firstly, by giving him a fuller revelation of himself than Moses had had before. That's how gracious God is. Exodus chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. God said to Moses, I am Yahweh. I am that I am. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. It's exactly the same sequence as before. What do we need if we're to serve God? Well, first of all, we need to know God. And if what we know of God so far is not enough to carry us through in his service, then God will show us more of himself. Moses returns in his failure and God says, Okay, I'll open my heart more completely to you. And he gives Moses a fuller revelation of his own purpose, person of his ways and his purposes than he'd ever given to Moses before. And by the way, in giving this fuller revelation, in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 6, that great Bible word, redeem, occurs for the very first time in the scriptures in its distinctive sense to do with the cost involved in order to rescue or to deliver someone. As we understand it, there, there has to be judgment. And yet God himself will provide a substitute for those who are to be delivered from slavery to sin. And then note that in Exodus chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, Moses is given a new commission by the Lord. Moses, you failed. Okay, 
Let's have another go. I'm going to send you again. Go in. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That's how God deals with his failures. And it saddens me that so many preachers try to make preaching points talking of foolish, unbiblical things like those who've slipped and fallen, those who've screwed up, being condemned to a second best life. Honestly, it's a discouragement of the worst kind to say to a Christian who's fouled up, you've gone astray from the will of God. Nothing will ever recover you. You'll never amount to anything. And you're deemed to live second best for the rest of your life because, well, you've blown it and so you've missed your calling. Well, thank God that he's greater than those who preach him. No servant of God is ever doomed to second best. God is always willing to put them back in his A-team, back on the top line. But of course, God doesn't deal with every despairing soul like this. Only the despairing souls who act according to Exodus chapter 5 and verse 23. 22. Those who bring the despair back to God. And the rest of Exodus chapter 6, there the Lord makes it very clear. There's nothing vague about this reinstatement of Moses. Verses 14 to 25 of chapter 6 are a very specific genealogy of Moses and Aaron. And they culminate in, culminate in verses 26 and 27 with these words. The Aaron and the Moses named in this list are the same ones to whom the Lord said, Lead the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt like an army. It was Moses and Aaron who spoke to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, about leading the people out of Egypt. And then as we go on into Exodus chapter 7, God arms Moses, thirdly, with a full of divine authority, power, and reassurance. Verse 1 of chapter 7, the Lord said to Moses, Play, pay close attention to this. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. So in fact, the Lord reaffirms what he had already said to Moses, that he, the Lord, was going to speak to Pharaoh through Moses, for whom it was God's generous provision that Aaron would be his mouthpiece. Forewarned is forearmed. And so the Lord told Moses that Pharaoh would not easily cooperate However, without going into specifics at this juncture, the Lord also made it clear that he would work out his purposes by increasing Pharaoh's resistance. And thus it would be that Pharaoh would eventually come to recognize that the Lord, yes, he is truly God, reversing Pharaoh's sneering denial in chapter 5, where he proudly asserted, that he did not know the Lord. 
What a fantastic clarification and restating of Moses' calling and reassurance about the outcome. Isn't all that wonderful? To a failure? God gives fuller revelation, reinstatement and renewed commission, and a more comprehensive divine authority. And so it is that Moses goes to his task the second time around with the fulsome authority of God. My dear ones, if you've ever felt you're not good enough to serve God, if you've ever felt that you have so utterly failed that God has rejected you forever, if you've ever felt that you're all too capable of messing things up, if you've ever felt that God could never be interested in being your friend, then be encouraged by the story of Moses. He was a failure twice over, and yet the Lord singled him out along with Abraham to be called a friend of God. He ignored God's guidance. He did things his own way. He thoroughly messed up. But God didn't write him off. He simply gave him more of what he needed to the, be the man of God that he'd always been intended to be. You know, the Lord lavishes upon his friends his self-revelation, his all-encompassing grace, his constant reinstating after acknowledged failure, his encouragement and his empowerment, his tender fatherly care, and a future, and a hope. And Moses' God is our God. And he will assuredly deal with us in the same gentle, patient manner picking us up after our failures, showing us more of himself, giving us more of his spirit, and sending us back to be the people he wants us to be and to do the works that he's called us to do. What a gracious God we serve. Lord, we bow humbly before you, amazed at your outrageous grace. It's difficult to comprehend just how much you love us and how you desire for us to be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. That indeed, Your desire is that we should be your friends to your praise and glory. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.